Welcome to Anturia Diaries Prequel Stories, written and narrated by Heather Lynn McMillan and copyright 2022. Content warning. The Anturia Diaries prequel stories consistently feature themes of graphic violence, profanity, controversial topics, and sexual content. As such, these podcasts are not suitable for listeners under the age of 18. Some episodes also contain more specific themes which may be triggering. These episodes will feature further content warnings in the notes. Please take care of yourself and don't hesitate to ask for help if you need it. After several minutes, all council members were assembled and took their assigned seat. Malaith moved to the leader's seat by Oswald and me in the front, and a Croenblas named Dolphia came up to sit on the left side of Malaith. I thought as Dolphia passed me that I felt a slight brush of fingertips across my back from her, but the sensation was so faint that I began to doubt my senses. She did not indicate she made contact on purpose, so I turned my eyes back to the front and waited. Oswald called the meeting to order in the usual fashion, and I still sat with my hands into the opposite sleeves touching on the knives I had tucked away inside. The anxiety in the room was so present that we should have given her a name and a chair. This way she could sit down next to each one of us. Ten years ago, I would have never walked around armed, never mind attending a council meeting armed. Anturians love hand-to-hand combat, and we have had tournaments and competitions over the centuries. However, they've always been friendly, albeit competitive. The Crow and Dew were the most renowned fighters amongst us, but representatives from every race and sub-race excelled in the combat sport and participated in them. When I was younger, I was one of them, having won the World Anturian Medal for knife throwing, sword fighting, and archery. In the last 10 years, I felt the tension start between the races and within the races amongst the sub-races. A crow and gloss attacked a crow and weird while walking in the woods. The crow and weird died from the attack, and that was about seven years ago. No one knows what happened, and murders never happened before. It set us all on edge, and ever since then, I, along with many other Anturians, started carrying weapons on us for fear of our safety. Perhaps if I were not in the public eye so much as a member of the Council of Elders, I would have felt safer to move around unarmed. Things were getting dangerous. I felt the same tension in the council room as Oswald's voice droned on with the regular verbal rituals that started each meeting. I glanced around from face to face out in the chamber, and there were frightened faces, grave faces, angry faces, clueless faces, and confused faces. If you told me this was what I would see in the council chamber today ten years ago, I would have told you that you lost your mind. Oswald finished with a typical ritual opening and then referenced me and my calling of the urgent meeting with his second to make it official. He offered me the floor and sat down. I exhaled as I stood up, ensuring that my back was nice and tall, but I did not appear arrogant. I wanted those who would oppose what I was about to say know that I am not smug about it, but I was not going to be frightened into quiet submission either. Centurions of the Council 
thank you for coming on such short notice. I have called this urgent, unscheduled meeting to address an issue that has just come to my attention. I suspect this information has also just come to your attention, or you are not yet aware of it at all. I paused here and offered a grave expression. If you have known about this information for some time, then you should have called this meeting. I heard a couple grumbles and a couple of people rapping their desks with their knuckles in agreement. There are over 5,000 humans here on Anturia. Anturians hold many of them as servants. There were a few gasps of surprise, but not many, which told me the news had traveled very quickly. I continued, some of them have already been bred with Anturians and produced mixed being offspring. There were more gasps at this as perhaps this was not as well-known or traveled information. Some here in Tethia have revolted against their oppressors, killing a few of them in their bid for freedom. The Tethian Council now has them under protective custody, while we gather here to consider their future and our future with them. I paused and looked around the council members as they all looked at each other. I propose that we immediately draft up protections for the humans that are here and those that must remain here because they have mixed breed offspring. We cannot send them back to earth with mixed breed offspring and we could not force them to part with their children. I propose that those that have no mixed breed children return to earth immediately utilizing the time settings on the Porta Segreta so we can put them back on earth in the exact time they left after a memory cleanup. I stopped here to let everyone digest what I was suggesting, catch my breath, and keep myself calm and centered. Does anyone second either one of my two proposals? It was so quiet for what seemed like many minutes, but I suspect there were just mere seconds that had elapsed, perhaps even milliseconds. The silence just seemed to prolong the anxiety in the room, making it feel like either more time passed by or it was being stretched into some longer modality than it usually ran. I was worried no one would second my proposals for a brief second. Oswald could not, as he was the speaker. Suddenly, Dalphia spoke up. I second, she said, standing up so all could see and hear her. I breathed a sigh of relief and nodded respectfully to her. Oswald stood up then and said, now that the proposals have officially been brought to the floor and seconded, I asked the council to draft up the wording for the legislation and submit it to the office of the leader for review. I call this council meeting ended with regrouping once the drafting of the proposals by the committees has been completed and is ready for, for formal submission to the office of the leader. For several moments after that, not many people got up. I think some were dumbfounded and sat there in disbelief at what they heard. Others, such as Malaith, just sat back in their seats. Malaith glared at me. I didn't move yet to join my committee to begin writing the proposals for two reasons. One, because I knew no matter what we drafted in the proposals, Malade's office would never approve them to come forward for a vote for the council. The whole process would be moot and a waste of time and energy. There was no recourse around this process either because no one abused it before now. The second reason I stayed put was that I continued to have this nagging feeling or pang of intuition that something dreadful was about to happen in this room. The sense of foreboding I felt at the start of the meeting was now so heavy it felt as though it was suffocating my soul. I didn't want to move and let my guard down with other tasks. I needed to remain alert and ready for action in the fraction of a second. A bustle of movement in the chamber let me know that some counselors were getting
getting up and slowly moving into groups to start drafting out the proposals. However, at the same time as I was watching the lathe, I followed her gaze out into the chamber to the same group of Crow and Gloss and Crow and Do that she was talking to before the meeting. At that moment, I noticed they too were moving, but they were not moving to gather to write a proposal unless they were writing in blood. The glint of blades from the lights that hung down from the tall ceiling told me they were attacking. Malaise maliciously grinned as she saw her friends move into action. Upon hearing the sounds of my fellow council members, most of whom would be unarmed getting stabbed, I grabbed one of my knives from my right sleeve with my left hand and brought it down across Malay's throat faster than she could comprehend what I was doing. I was thankful to be so quick as I saw a knife in her own hand as she fell. She went down with a face of disbelief and I pulled the long rectangular table over to the side where Oswald Dalfia and I had been sitting in the front. I figured at least we could be shielded from one side this way while we looked for a way out. Some crow and do came around the edge of a flip table on Dalfia's side and tried to stab poor Oswald around Dalfia. Like me, Dalfia was prepared and unsheathed her knife and cut the hand right off of Oswald's would-be assailant. The hand and the blade it had clutched fell to the ground and then she finished him off with a stab into his heart. The expression on Oswald's face was one of absolute terror. I felt for him and the others on the other side of this flip table that were like him. They were so innocent, unprepared, and dying. I nodded to Dalfia, and she nodded back to me. I peeked around my end of the table at the chamber. Dalfia and I were not the only ones on our side that felt the foreboding and came prepared, because many of them were still standing and fighting the rebels with knives. The fact that they had lived delighted me, even though the scene was too gruesome to feel delighted about anything. At least this would not be a complete slaughter. Dolphia whispered to me, I'm going out there to help. Stay with Oswald to protect him, council leader. I gulped. I nodded in agreement, but she was right. With Malave now deceased, I would become the council of Elder's leader. I felt stained with more than just the physical blood of Malave that still dripped from the edge of my knife onto the floor where I crouched behind the overturned table. I later learned an expression from the humans called opening Pandora's box. Now that I recall the scene in the chamber that day, I can say that's exactly what happened. All of the evil contained inside of us for thousands of years finally erupted in one pivotal moment in history. Oswald was physically trembling now, and I put my right hand over his to try to comfort him as we sat with our backs to the overturned table. My left hand still held the bloody blade, and Malay's body was just across from us against the wall where it had landed when I flipped the table over so quickly. The noise of the fight was so intense with yelling, cursing, and grunting sounds. I saw tears start to form and stream down Oswald's cheeks uncontrollably. I continued to pat his hand until another assailant came around the edge of the table on Oswald's side. This Anturian was a crow and gloss named Murathir. I had dinner at his house once with his whole family, and now here he was, trying to stab our mutual friend Oswald with a knife. He came down and missed Oswald when Oswald rolled to the right away from me. With the downward thrust of Murathir's knife, it stuck into the underside of the table we were hiding behind. While Murathir struggled with his knife, I shifted my blade into my right 
right hand and thrust it deeply into Murathir's chest. His eyes widened and he looked at me before letting out a grunt, followed by a great exhale. Murathir then fell to the ground between Oswald and me. I jumped, ready to strike again when someone else came around the corner of the table, this time on my side, but breathed a sigh of relief when I recognized Dalfia. Blood covered her body, but she did not look injured other than a few scratches on her arms from someone's fingernails. It's clear, she told me. Any survivors of the attackers have fled. There are not many of us left on either side. I stilled my breathing and finally realized that it had gone hushed compared to a few moments ago. My fight with Murathir had closed off my senses to the room. I did not process the growing silence out there until now. I got up and looked around the room, and the sight confirmed Dalfia's word. There were about thirty Anturians in this chamber when the meeting started. Now there were about five of us still alive, and a little over twenty dead all over the room. Dalfia helped Oswald up as I took in the scene around us. Four of the rebels escaped, Dahlia said, after Oswald was standing, and she helped to steady him. I got one with a throwing knife, Portenda. Based on where my knife hit her, she won't be alive long. I nodded. So three of our assailants were free and roaming the street. What would they do? Where would they go? We would know who they were once we identified all the bodies on the floor here in the chamber. Indeed, they would know this. Did they have another plan? Were there more Anturians involved in this plot? Everything around me led to more questions, and I could tell from Dalfia's expression that she felt the same. Another Crow and Lude named Gafton came up to us. She was not a council member, but she worked in the administrative offices of the council. Her eyes were wide, and at first I thought it was to share the terror of what happened in this chamber. But as soon as she came in the door, she yelled, it's broken, it's broken. We received word that the Porta Segreta is broken. We have Anturians stuck on earth who cannot get back and rebels have assaulted Belia Island. We don't have much of a defense left there. They will take possession of the Porta Segreta and all the humans appearing there. Then she turned and saw all the carnage in the room, perhaps noticing it for the first time. And instantly she faded onto the floor, gracefully and gently, like a silky piece of material that had just slid down. Dahlia went to check on Gafton, but Oswald caught my gaze as he appeared to be looking around for something. Oswald, what are you looking for? I asked him as I watched him searching all of the pockets in his coat. I cannot find the list, he said almost frantically. It's not in my pocket. Oswald kept a list of the council members in his pocket during meetings, and the list also contained the primary residence addresses of all the members. This document was the only thing showing who we were and where we all lived. Oh, no. I found that I had yelled that out loud when I just meant to think it. Dalfia came up and grabbed a hold of me by my upper arms as if she knew what I was thinking. Do not go there, she hissed, the warning at me through her clenched teeth. It's a trap that cannot take you. She was pleading with me now as I started to struggle against her. My daughter-in-law and my beloved Afanin, neither one of them could fight, neither one could defend themselves, and I left them at home with no protection.
Thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 3, The Civil War, from the Anturia Diaries Prequel Stories Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast through your favorite podcast subscription apps or at anturia.org. Season 1, Episode 4, The Flowers Bloom Without You, will continue with Bryn's story of the newly started Civil War on Anturia. Stay tuned.